now shattered. Now there's a vacuum there. What do they believe? And so secondly, the second uh, part of what we're trying to accomplish is then to take the Word of God and through internal evidences and external evidences be able to convince them of the truth of God's Word, that they can put their faith wholly and completely upon it and they can rest solid on the Word of God. Uh, that's, that's basically in in a nutshell. Now, there's a lot of things that come to play in that. We've talked about them. And uh, the first part of that, getting them to doubt, we dealt with for a couple, several weeks now, and uh, uh, how we've got some things that we can call out to cause them to question uh, regarding that. There's four things that if we can get them to agree on with us, and, and they are actually in the uh, Latter-day Saints uh, writings and their doctrines, so they are four things regarding true prophets or how to determine whether someone is a true prophet or not. There are four things that they will be in agreement with us on. They, they will not in agreement on those things. We gave those to you last week. Uh, and just real quickly, I'll, I'll run through them. Uh, the true prophets' predictions uh, in God, or prophecies in God's name come true. So if they say, God gave me this, they have to come true. Uh, how many of them have to come true for them to be a true prophet? All of them. If one of them does not come true, even a Mormon will tell you that they're a false prophet. Okay, so even if one. The second one is uh, the prophet's teachings must agree with established doctrine that's already there and cannot contradict previous revelation or previous uh, prophecies. They will agree on that. The third one, uh, the fruit of a true prophet is good. Okay, so the fruit of a true prophet is good. Meaning then the alternative to that is if they have bad fruit, they're a false prophet. We're going to be dealing with that third one tonight, mostly. Uh, The fourth one is the true prophet's revelations are authentic, they're factually solid, and they're reasonable. And they'll agree on all four of those points. Uh, Having them agree on that is kind of the the first uh, foundation we need to lay uh, when we go to question some of these things. So, uh, again, approaching them. And, And we said last week, don't... Uh, don't give them both barrels at the same time. Don't give them all your ammunition at one time. Uh, you, you approach them in small bites. If they at all uh, feel like there's a spirit of contention while talking with you, they're going to they're gonna write you off and they're not going to come back. Okay? Uh, we had some really good questions last week. Um, one of them being, you know, what if they come to our door and they're, I think Brother Harold had mentioned, they, they rotate in their missions every six months. Uh, I will say this, I, I've, I've never met a Mormon yet that if you're asking questions about them and they don't know the answer to it, that they won't say, hey, I'll bring somebody back, when can I do it, uh, we'll come sit and talk with you about it that can answer that question a little bit further. Or, before they leave your door, say, I'd like to talk to you more about these things, and if it's been a good discussion, set the time, set a date right then. Say, you know, could you come back next Thursday at 2 o'clock and, and then make sure you're available for that or whatever, whatever the time is. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know of a Mormon missionary out there that if somebody's inviting them to come talk to them about the Mormon faith, that they would not make the time to do that. Uh, that's like saying sick them to a dog uh, to the Mormon missionaries. I mean, they're just going to go out there and, and they're going to do that. So I would recommend doing that, setting up a regular time to do that. Okay, so that's kind of it in a nutshell, what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, I want to spend some time, we talked about this last week, and I I put some things together that may be a help to us. Uh, This is not a full biography of the life of Joseph Smith. Uh, We will deal with a few more things about his life in the next few weeks, but we've given you a lot of stuff here. 
for your consideration regarding this. And um, so we're going to go down through these uh, kind of briefly at the very top of the first set of bullet points there. It's kind of a list of different things uh, in Joseph Smith's life that uh, were a problem uh, that you would consider to be the fruit of Joseph Smith. Uh, the first one we find is Joseph Smith's personal life consisted of deception and immorality. Uh, his deception and immorality related to marriage and the family specifically. The fact that uh, he was very self-serving. Uh, everything had to benefit him. Uh, and we read some scripture last week how that uh, the, the true prophet is not worried about uh, him profiting by himself or you know, it being all about him. Uh, but Joseph Smith uh, was very self-serving. Uh, so much so that he made changes to his own revelations so that he could do further revelations uh, down the road. So, again, coming back to that. Um, uh, Joseph slandered some of his closest associates uh, whenever the prophecy did not come true or they questioned about a prophecy that didn't come true. He would slander them publicly and disavow them and cause the people around him. He had a, he had a lot of influence uh, over his followers. And... Um, uh, would basically say if somebody uh, contradicted him or, or brought something up, even if it was in private, uh, he would go out to discredit them so that if he talked to anybody else, uh, one of his followers, that they wouldn't believe him. Uh, plagiarism, uh, both of the Book of Mormon, uh, and also we're going to look a little bit tonight in the ties of um, the Mormon Church and the uh, Masonic Lodge of the Freemason Movement and uh, how they, he plagiarized a lot of their uh, temple ceremony stuff. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. <clears throat> a lot of people don't realize there's a big tie between Mormonism and uh, Freemasonry. Uh, there is quite a bit of tie there uh, in the early days especially. Uh, his false claim to supernatural ability to translate repeated, uh, was repeatedly ex exposed that he could not do that. Um, the Kinderhook plates forgery we're not going to deal with tonight. Uh, that will be in another lesson if we do it. Uh, if not, I'll give you a little handout on it so you'll know what that's about. Uh, 16, 116 pages of the Book of Mormon that we're missing and the Book of Abraham. Those are the, the bottom three we will not deal with tonight. Um, or in this handout, we'll do a separate handout for that. All right? Let's look in uh, Deuteronomy chapter number 18. I want us to read uh, some scripture here. Again, uh, they do use the King James Version. They believe it's the most accurate translation out there, but they, don't, they do believe that it has errors. So again, the second part of what we're trying to do with the Mormon, after we get them to doubt what they believe, to get them to believe that the Bible can be, uh, uh, without error, can be believed in and be a strong foundation, that's going to be an uphill battle. Uh, because they do believe that, they've believed their whole life, that if the Bible, where the where the Bible disagrees with the Book of Mormon, that it's because the Bible was mistranslated, and that's what they hold to. So it's going to be an uphill battle. There's going to be some things we have to deal with um, regarding Scripture that will help them in some things. All right. So let's take a look here uh, in verse number nine, Deuteronomy chapter eighteen and verse number nine. <clears throat> God is giving some laws to the children of Israel specifically, and He says, "When thou art come into the land." which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. By the way, uh, that would be a good rule to follow today, wouldn't it? Uh, that we not follow after the world and the things of the world. 
Uh, all right, all right, everybody at the right place, Deuteronomy 18, verse number 9. All right. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth div divination, or uh, an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or wizard, or a, a necromancer. Uh, for all these are for all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out before thee. Uh, how many of you know what a necromancer is? I didn't either. I had to look it up. <laughs> all right, um, a necromancer is somebody that dabbles in spirituality and the occult, a soothsayer, someone that would tell your fortune, uh, that sort of a thing. Okay. Um, by the way. This is good enough reason right here for us not to dabble in astrology. Amen? We don't have any business reading our horoscopes or going to a fortune teller or somebody that will read our palm or read the cards. A Christian has no business in doing that. Uh, because, again, that's very satanic. It deals with witches and divination of spirits and conjuring and things like this that are nothing more than uh, demonic worship. Uh, now, I want you to keep this in mind. This is what God is uh, instructing His children, and that's going to play into where we're going to go with this in just a few minutes, looking at some of the things from Joseph Smith. Now, let's go through the list here very quickly. The first part uh, of these little arrow bullets that we gave you, Joseph, uh, 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 Joseph Smith secretly married over 30 women. Now, all of these uh, next few statistics, you'll see the page numbers given, come from the source in Sacred Loneliness. This is written by a man named Tom Compton, uh, who is currently a Latter-day Saint. So, again, this is coming from uh, an authoritative source. We're not, we're not giving you some Baptist preacher who thinks these things. Uh, the things that are stated here are in his book, uh, written by him. Uh, and so I want you to understand this. He secretly married over 30 women, seven of them, were from age 14 to 17 years of age. And this was during the time period when Joseph Smith was 37 to 38 years old. We would look at that today and say this guy was some kind of a predator. Uh, just absolutely immoral, ungodly, and certainly not right. Uh, ten of them were already married to other men. Again, the Bible's quite clear on adultery and fornication, uh, dealing with those things in several cases to the point of uh, borderline having their spouses... Uh, lives taken. There were some questionable deaths of some husbands that took place, a couple of them, uh, that uh, were questionable, and uh, some people looked into it and then just kind of pushed it by the wayside, but uh, kind of suspicious how they uh, passed away. Uh, most of these women that were, well, almost all of them, I believe, if not, I, I can't think of any of them that were, uh, they did not let, he did not let the husbands know about it. So all this is being done in secret, a lot of it. Um, there was some immorality certainly consummated uh, the marriage uh, in the younger uh, ladies that were involved in this uh, Joseph lied pub uh, he hid uh, a lot of this uh, polygamy behind his wife's back he didn't let his wife know about it and the more fundamental sects of the Mormon church that still practice polygamy uh, the group over in Mexico uh, that just was in the news recently for the slaughter that happened over there. Uh, that group is in Mexico because they're a very fundamentalist group of the Mormon movement, 
and they practice polygamy. They're allowed to do that there, uh, and that's that was that group. Uh, but uh, there's quite a few of them that still do that, uh, and they still practice to this day. Uh, when a man marries another wife, they don't, and, and that wife is already married to somebody else. They don't let them know about it, and they usually don't let their wife know about it. Uh, they try to keep that. Uh, they follow the pattern that Joseph Smith did in keeping that a secret. Uh, Joseph Smith lied publicly about his teaching and practice of polygamy while practicing it privately. And uh, then he used religious coercion and manipulation to get women to consent to plural marriage. So this third requirement of a true prophet, that you'll know them by their fruit, uh, again, doesn't sound like this guy has very good fruit. Certainly an immoral character by any standard. Um, he goes back now, and, and moving on from the family side of things, he goes on to revise some of the revelations that he had earlier, and he does this so that he can come out with new revelation of some things. So some of the examples of things he changed that were not part of the original things that uh, he had held to is that he believed that uh, there was an appearance by John the Baptist to him personally to... Uh, pass on the uh, the Aaronic priesthood, the line of uh, the priesthood from the Jews, and so he felt that, or he he told them that he had this uh, appearance of John the Baptist to give him priestly authority. Uh, he also believed that, or it led him to believe that that he had an appearance of Peter, James, and John uh, in order to give the Melchizedek priesthood. Uh, there's only one person that's ever had the Melchizedek priesthood in the world, and that has been the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one else other than Him. In fact, the Bible is quite clear in the book of Hebrews that there is no one to even follow Him in that line. And uh, so very, very uh, her uh, heresy uh, there, a very strong uh, problem there. Uh, he altered uh, the revelations that he had given previously to allow him to do uh, future revelations, and we did that. He claimed to have words of wisdom. Uh, by the way, there are other groups that have adopted this, haven't they? Uh, anybody ever heard somebody say, I had a word of wisdom? <laughs> and what they're saying by that is, you won't find it in Scripture, but God told me. We believe that the Bible, and the Bible even tells us, that we have a completed revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, of all that He wants us to know, and we have it in His Word. There are no further uh, prophecies or things that uh, are to come that are not written already in Scripture. And so anybody that comes to you and says, um, God told me this, and you won't find it in Scripture. Uh, God may have led them in some ways, but don't don't equate it with Scripture. Okay, it's not it's not more inspiration and more of the Bible. Okay, so be careful of that. Uh, that will happen. And, and by the way, the Mormons are not the only group that will talk about words of wisdom. So just be very very cautious of that. All right, uh, Joseph would slander the character of his closest associates when they exposed his immoral behavior, mainly with regards to his polygamy uh, and the things that he was doing there. He lied about the origins of the Mormon temple ceremony. Uh, Joseph Smith claimed that these were given to him by God, and yet we're going to find that he basically plagiarized uh, the same ceremonies that are found in, in the Masonic uh, group of folks. He joined the Masonic order, learned their secret rituals, incorporated them into the Mormon temple ceremony, and then claimed that his source was the revelation from God. And then he also lied about his ability to translate ancient records and was caught in a lie by people in the nearby community uh, who created some fake etched metal plates uh, 
discovered them and then took them to Joseph to translate, which he claimed to do. And they had faked them and done them uh, originally and made them, made them think that they were original. So these are some of the character flaws. When we talk about um, a false... And again, these are things that you can bring some of it up uh, to a Mormon, but again, don't give them both barrels at the same time. Um, there is a lot of that information that is readily available in, his, in historical accounts. And again, these are sourced from a current Latter-day Saint author that he found in the early writings of the Latter-day Church, uh, Latter-day Saint Church. So if a Mormon says, no, that's not true, again, we've got the ability to say, but it came from your early writings. These are the writings from Joseph Smith and those around him at the time. And so, again, I, I, it's helpful if we have an authoritative source. Now, the passage we dealt with in Deuteronomy chapter 18 comes into play now as we look at the early days of Joseph Smith. So if you look back on the back of the front page, we're going to look through this thing on the connection to Freemasonry and the occult. And by the way, uh, I hope you'll listen carefully on this tonight because this is something that uh, we need to be forewarned about in our churches. Um, I'm going to say it that way and then I'll explain it to you a little bit later in just a few moments here. Joseph Smith and his father were both uh, involved in what was an occult practice of the day back in the 1800s called money digging. Now, what a money digger did is they uh, would have some sort of divination. Uh, for Joseph Smith, he had what was called a seer stone. He had a brown stone, and, and he would put it in a hat, hold the hat up to his face and look in there where no light could get in, and supposedly the seer stone would tell him where to find treasure. Now, you'll find out later on that that was not a profitable endeavor for him. Uh, he didn't find a whole lot of treasure that way. Um, you say, well, Brother Greg, he was faking that. I'm not so sure because I believe he really probably did see something. You don't mess with things in the occult and not have some things that really do happen. Satan is not powerless. I don't want to speak more highly of him than we ought to tonight, but he does have power. I've got a missionary friend of mine who uh, was many years a missionary down in Haiti. In fact, he works, he's been working for probably about 30 years now on doing a, a, a very careful, because there's not a real good Creole translation of Scripture. He's trying to take the King James Bible and make a very, very careful translation into Creole. He's been doing it for a number of years. Uh, years ago, when I was a young man, uh, he made mention of the fact that he went to view with another missionary a seance that they were doing when they were practicing their voodoo down there in Haiti. And he said, Brother Greg, I will not tell people what I saw there. He said, the only thing I ever let people know is I actually saw people levitate off the ground. But other than that, he said, I won't even tell you what I saw. He said, the power of Satan is real. For us to sit here and say, okay, Joseph Smith looked in this hat and was trying to fool a bunch of people. He was doing this for his own gain. He was trying to find treasure for himself. For him to continue to look at this seer stone, I believe he was seeing something. Um, there are accounts of people I know, and I don't want to get into a lesson on the occult tonight, 
but there are people that I know that have experienced uh, apparitions and things that they believe were demonic inspiration. One of them is a relative of mine, a very close relative of mine, and truly believes that, that he saw something and cannot explain what it was. I don't mean that to be scary or super spooky. I, I mean that to say when the Mormons talk about a spirit confirming in their hearts that Joseph Smith was a true prophet and that the Book of Mormon is, is true, there is something that happens there. It's not the Holy Spirit, though. Uh, and so we need to understand this, okay? Again, these are things that I look at and I think fit perfectly into the description given in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 to 12. The things that God warned His children against. Soothsayers, uh, astrologers, uh, fortune tellers, conjurers, people that would divine um, spirits back from the dead. Unless you don't think that's true or not, even Saul, if you'll remember, Saul, the first king of Israel, went to the witch of Endor and was able to call up the spirit of Samuel. And uh, God allowed that for Saul's benefit, but understanding this, that that witch was not surprised that a spirit showed up. That had happened before. And so very, very important that you understand that when the Bible says we wrestle against principalities and powers, we need to understand this isn't something we don't see. We can see it. We just don't see it with our, our human eyes. We see it with our hearts when we hear of these things. We know they happen. Uh, we know that these things are so. Uh, the prophets of Baal in uh, Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. Remember that? Baal was known primarily as a sun god or, the, or a storm god. He controlled lightning. It was not unusual for the prophets of Baal to think that they could call down fire from heaven. And when, when Elijah challenged them... It was, it was like, oh, this is a gimme. Our God is the God of that. He can do that. And they were all excited about that. That's why they took the, the challenge. Uh, understand that there's a very real thing there. Now, Joseph Smith dabbles in this. He, he's into this seer stone. He's trying to, to do this, uh, this, what they call money digging. Back in the 1800s, late 1700s, early 1800s, it was, it was against the law. Uh, he actually got arrested a little bit later on and uh, was found guilty. It was a misdemeanor type of a thing. It wasn't something he'd get thrown in jail for. And in fact, they don't even believe that he was ever uh, punished for it because he was a first-time offender at the time. But he didn't give up the seer stone. He kept doing it. All right? Um, if you look at the second uh, big uh, paragraph there, Joseph's involvement in the occult, Joseph Smith Jr.'s role in the quest for treasure was especially important since he had the seer stone. He would place this special rock. He tells a little bit about that. Um, looking down, let's see, it was a vagrant act, and no penalty was administered. Okay, so we can get through that paragraph. Uh, occultism and the start of Mormonism. So shortly after he quit doing the money digging, uh, he, he kept the seer stone. He, he didn't associate with that crowd because that, uh, that was a vagrant crowd. That was the, the crowd you didn't want to run with. That was the bad crowd in town, if you will, the seer stone crowd. Uh, the money-digging crowd. He, he, he wanted to build himself up to, to be something, and so he got rid of his acquaintances, but he kept the seer stone and kept doing that. Uh, and then so he, he supposedly says that he finds these plates that later on produce the Book of Mormon. This was known by early converts. 
but has since been replaced with later accounts that he had an angelic visitor. So if you go to the site, uh, the, the Latter-day Saints site today, uh, they say that he had an angelic vision that showed him where the stones were. In the early, early writings of Mormonism, supposedly he used the seer stone. Because that was such a faux pas later on, uh, the Mormon church, they changed that in the writings. Uh, and even Joseph Smith later on uh, changed it to an angel told me this. That was one of the things that he had changed uh, rather than uh, that he found it through the seer stone, supposedly. Uh, by the way, nobody's ever seen the plates uh, that are there that he was supposed to have found. They have made plates uh, that they say are replicas of because the plates were lost conveniently. Uh, this transition was aided by downplaying the fact that Marani, which was the angel, was supposedly a dead Indian warrior. Um, was re They referred to him as an angel. Um, moving on down a little bit further where it says occultic... Uh, let's, let's read this uh, just above the facts supported by Latter-day Saint uh, Richard Wagner. The stone still retained by the first presbytery of the LDS church was the vehicle through which the golden plates were discovered and the medium through which their interpretation came. So that's where their, uh, that's the guy that first talked about this was the first group of um, uh, stake presidents and things. They don't have pastors the way we have pastors, but they have leaders and directors and prophets and apostles and that kind of thing. Um, and then they have what are called stake presidents that, that are also authoritative over an area. Uh, so that first group of them, they were the ones that wrote about this being done by the seer stone. All right, occultic parallels in the LDS church ceremony. Um, Mike, Michael Quinn is the one who comes up with this stuff, and he says, By drawing on only authorized descriptions of the endowment by LDS leaders, I believe it's possible to see within historical context how the Mormon endowment reflected uh, the ancient and occultic mysteries far closer than Freemasonry. Uh, he outlines several things, and they are, first of all, they are revealed by God from the beginning, but distorted through apostasy. So again, uh, trying to, uh, where these, where these um, practices come from, like this, the, the temple ceremonies, and some of the things that they've taken, the cult practices, that they were originally from God, but through the history of, of religion, have been distorted over the years uh, to what we, we practice now, and that only the LDS Church is practicing them in the original form that God intended. Does that make sense to you? So in other words, the occult was the original, the occultish things that the Mormon Church does were the original way that God intended, that the things we practice now outside of the occult are, are apostate and have been changed over the years, that we've drifted away from what God intended. Okay, so that's that's what they hold to. That's what they believe. Um, they believe in emphasis, that there's an emphasis on the worthiness of the initiates. So uh, somebody that's going to get their temple recommendation, they're going to go through uh, ordinances of the church so that they can hopefully make it to the celestial heaven. Uh, they're going to... Um, go on a mission, they're going to be married in a temple, they're going to be baptized in a temple, they're going to have all these things that they have to go through, all these works they have to go through. And a Mormon will tell you, they say, they'll tell you, we believe in salvation by grace, but they add, after we've done all that we can. And what they mean by that is, have they done all of the endowments of the temple? Um, so, 
they put an emphasis on the worthiness of the one receiving the endowments. That is completely opposite of Christianity. Do we get saved because we are worthy of it? No. But a Mormon, they have to be worthy in order to make it to the celestial heaven. Does that make sense? You see where we're going with that? Okay. So that's what they hold to. Some of these things that they do, the endowments, include washings, anointings. They get a special name. Nobody's supposed to know that name. Um, They they whisper it in their ear when they're getting uh, their endowments and getting baptized at the uh, temple. They get temple garments that they're never supposed to take off. They're supposed to wear them all the time. It's supposed to protect them uh, from spiritual warp uh, that they're supposed to be involved in. They emphasize vows of non-disclosure. They're not allowed to tell you what happens in the temple ceremonies. Um, It's interesting because even people that have come out of Mormonism are reluctant to tell you what took place. Uh, Many of them are reluctant to tell you what took place in in the temple ceremonies. Very, very secret. Again, uh, as you go up the level of uh, the Freemasons, very, very secretive. Uh, they, they do things and they perform things and ceremonies that you're not allowed to tell anybody about. And it's a very, very sacred thing to them. Uh, so again, he gets a lot of this from that. Uh, there are lesser and greater rituals. They feature presentation of the ritual through drama. This is interesting to me. Uh, Jonathan, are you back there? It's 8 o'clock. Let's, let's end the stream here because I'm going to say a few things that I'm not sure I want to go on the 